We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Day two for Tim Murray sitting in for Sheehan as he continues his uh, vacay out west. Uh, A lot of tweets. Um, I know there wasn't a commander discussion, so who better to bring on uh, than our good friend and friend of this show, I know, and a friend of mine, Ben Standig. You all know him. You love him from his work over at The Athletic. Um, I, I am told, Ben, that I need to let people know uh, what Kevin always does, does uh, subscribe, uh, rate and review. Uh, it doesn't cost you a thing, really helps us out. So I didn't do that yesterday. So I, I felt like I was letting the people down. So I'm letting everyone know what I need to do. Ben, how, how busy are these couple days been? I thought we were just, I was like, all right, I'm filling in for Sheehan. You know, we've got March Madness going on. I'm just going to talk hoops every day. And then bada bing, bada boom, there's tons of uh commander news so I, I had to get you on the people needed to know the latest i mean i wouldn't have a clue if you you mentioned march madness i have no idea did anything happen <laughs> i have you could have told me a 16 seed one i have zero idea maybe maybe, maybe a 16 seed has one this is a podcast we don't know we've all all we know all i could tell you for sure is that notre dame won in double overtime on wednesday night and uh, and mike bray wanted to drink irish whiskey other than well, that we're pretty uh, as a UMBC guy, I only care if the 16 seeds win. I just don't want that to happen. We, we, we want we want that to ourselves. Either way, we're <laughs> the first one. But yeah, everybody else stay away. That's been done. Then you can go and have fun with the rest of your tournament. Well, as of recording, it uh, looks like Norfolk State won't get it done. So you should be good there. I can't speak to uh, the others uh, that are going on. But I know you're a busy man. Uh, we'll talk some college hoop a little bit later on in this podcast. Also, I'm recording this on Zoom. Uh, so it's going to be a 40-minute max podcast. And Ben's not staying off 40 minutes because he would kill me if I made him stay off 40 minutes. Or he'd just leave. All right. So uh, Carson Wentz introduced today. Uh, man, some nice threads. Can I, I – I just have a public service announcement. As a, as a D.C. native, um, the take command – thing can that go away let's let's not have that happen i'm not necessarily a hashtag guy anyway but like i you know look i mean i think the commander's name i we don't need to open that but the the whole thing is fraught so i don't know what you do at that point (laughs) if that's your name i don't know i guess take command seems reasonable but uh, sure i mean all all the hashtags no matter what they are to me or you know kind of whatever i agree all right 
But uh, the takeaways from Carson Wentz's uh, introductory press conference, uh, wearing number 11, so going back to his number that he wore in uh, in college and at Philadelphia, and in Philadelphia, I should say. So uh, no more number two. That is uh, his days in, in Indianapolis uh, are gone in the past. He's going back to his number 11. Uh, but biggest takeaway for you uh, from Carson Wentz's uh, intro presser? Well, look, you know, Obviously, they're all going to say the best things and everybody's going to, you know, they say it's like the spring training of press conferences. Everything is sunny and bright and optimistic and there's nothing, you know, everybody believes it's going to all work out. Uh, you know, I think it, it's it's easy and probably right to have some fair amount of skepticism with Carson Wentz, considering what's gone on in the last two spots. It's, it's not just that he was traded twice. Philly took the biggest cap hit in the history of the league to move on and the Colts one year after giving up a first round pick. They did get some things back from Washington, but they moved on pretty quickly. So there's reason to be to wonder, like, what what's anybody going to get? But that said, I, I thought, you know, Carson Wentz, he, you know, don't know him. He could have come in here and been defensive when asked questions about what went wrong in Indy or, or, or where he's come up short. And he didn't. He largely owned it. He said he stunk at the end of the year. He did. He said that, you know, there are things that have gone on. Um, he, he made a joke that when somebody asked about, at the combine that uh, Colts GM, Chris Ballard said that some of the criticisms were fair and when said, which ones <laughs> and a few. Um, and, and, you know, I thought he handled it all pretty well. Now, whether this is show or this is the real guy, I mean, that's to be determined as we're around him more. And obviously the play on the field will tell us a lot, but I think for what he needed to do today, the purpose of this conversation, start a new chapter in Washington. I, I, I thought he did a, a fairly good job at that. Um. Yeah. Uh, and, and from your reporting and, uh, you know, I apologize to the listeners if this has been uh, already hashed out. So we, you know, the, the official, you know, uh, trade that we all knew, right. The swap of the second round picks, you know, the, the, you know, Washington moves from down from 42 to 47 Colts go up from 47 to 42. Uh, the third rounder 73rd overall uh, Washington does get uh, 240 overall for from uh, the Colts this year and then the conditional next year from from everything you've gathered um, was there were there other suitors uh, you know it because you know I think I heard Kevin talking about it which is okay if he gets released then he could go anywhere obviously so this was Washington's opportunity to to grab him and, and get the guy that you know maybe they wanted or, or whatever but you know Ultimately, now that we know officially what the price is and what those numbers are, um, you know, what, what do you make of the compensation and, and, and were they bidding against themselves here? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So at the time that the deal was done, what I reported was they wanted to avoid, avoid uh, a bidding war. Right. Okay. Now they made a trade. So we're like, well, are you avoiding a bidding war for a trade or something else? But I think my thought was, and I think Ron Rivera kind of said this as much today. I got to go back and see exactly what he said, but that basically they were afraid if they didn't make a trade that they would find themselves in a bidding war in the open market, which is reasonable, right? I mean, in the sense that other teams still need quarterbacks and for all the drama with, you know, the memes and everything else about Carson Wentz, he is a talented quarterback and there's a lot of teams that don't have one or any you know viable quarterback. So it could get that one. But my thing is, I don't necessarily know. I have not heard at least of another team that was specifically mentioned being involved in a trade, but my wonder is, did they get a sense that if he hit the open market, he would not come here. I would imagine he may not want to be back in the NFC East. Right. I mean, 
why deal with why why deal with some of those past memories? Maybe from a geography standpoint, he'd rather go live out back, you know, back in the Dakota area. I know there's not a team there, but you know, somewhere <laughs> over on that side of the of the planet uh, versus here. I, whatever the variable may be, it could just be this is not you know this place doesn't have the greatest reputation these days. Now I may be reading that wrong, but between the fact that Trubisky went to Pittsburgh with a contract that didn't blow anybody away. And I would imagine Washington might have to overpay for that to get him to come here. And the went, I, I kind of have a feeling whether another team was trying to trade for him or not, that they decided to just cut to the chase, get the guy rather than worrying about a bidding war in which he, they may not be the favorite. Um, ben, I know he, uh, he had some t- thoughts and, and he, you guys asked him about, you know, working with Terry McLaurin, um, uh, the guy who hosts this podcast on a regular basis and is the namesake of this podcast, I think tweeted out a uh, office gif uh, the other day, which I didn't know Kevin was capable of tweeting out gifts, but uh, there he was. Uh, but uh, it was after Christian Kirk got his monster deal where he's overpaid to go to Jacksonville. Um, you know, where, where are we right now with the McLaurin situation, the extension, obviously entering the final year of his deal uh, just feels like that market continues to go up and up when you're looking at a guy that, I mean, if you asked anyone around the league, who would you rather have Christian Kirk or Terry McLaurin? I think it would be pretty unanimous that you want, you know, Terry McLaurin to a long-term deal. So where do we stand on that? Anything new? And uh, yeah, I mean, where, where are we right now with the McLaurin situation? Yeah. So I think, think we're not necessarily anywhere which isn't to say that the sides aren't discussing it's just to say that nobody is telling us too much I think to that end you look at the Landon Collins decision where they made him oppose June 1st cap cut and why why delay the money for with free agency starting now you are getting almost double what he would have what you would have generated if you make the move now but you're waiting so why wait I think between the Terry McLaurin extension and the Duran Payne extension they're just sort of giving themselves the space that when the time comes for either or both of those to occur that they are ready for that they don't actually have to do anything with Terry McLaurin today you know he's under contract for another year Mm -hmm. so unless somebody over in his world says you know right now or whatever you know which I don't think is happening at all then there's not a, a rush as long as you hope the two sides have had conversations my understanding they've had conversations I don't know exactly the depth but I think that's kind of where we're at. It's a holding pattern, but I don't mean that to alarm anybody. I just mean it. It's a course of business. And the fact that the Landon Collins thing happened suggests to me that they're prepared or preparing themselves at least to um, have that money ready for when needed. All right. A couple other, you know, bits and pieces uh, going on uh, and I'm sure, you know, more to come as, as Ben is, uh, is, is keeping his ear to the ground on this stuff. Uh, let's start with the, uh, the Matt Ioannidis uh, situation. So uh, he gets released yesterday uh, on Tuesday. And then I think it was you wrote a story about it, but the Associated Press got the quotes from his agent. Um, and uh, I don't know if you have them handy, but essentially to paraphrase, they were, they were kind of blindsided and, and upset. Um, you know, they were told uh, by the organization that, Hey, we're all good. Uh, don't worry about it. You're, 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 we're good to go. And then, you know, after the tampering period is over, Washington, you know, decides to, to move on from my, Matt Ioannidis. So the, the quotes from the agent clearly aren't great for the organization, uh, for Washington. Um, you know, wh- what is 
the what is you know the the down low on on this Ionitis situation? Were you surprised by it? And and ultimately, is this a bad look for Washington as an organization? How they handle this, or is this more of an agent you know just being frustrated uh, that you know he wasn't able to basically ask around during the tampering period? Yeah, I mean, look. <laughs> we're all predisposed to think anything that anybody says about this place must be true. It's been, you know, right. I mean, it's been pretty much right. So we're, no matter who it is, whatever the situation is, we're just sort of want to believe that or not want to, but sure. Why not? We've heard, we've heard crazier things that have happened than uh, an an agent being pissed off that he doesn't know that his client is going to be uh, released until the last second or or what have you. And and I spoke to uh, Alan Herman as well. And by the time I spoke to him, he was a little bit calmer down, but he still said, he was pretty peeved at, at the situation and, and um, didn't know. Look, the whatever miscommunication apparently went on between both sides is, is not ideal. It doesn't look great for Washington to have an agent kind of come out and blast you like that. This is on top of, you know, the J.D. McKissick side, you know, the, 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 the two sides disagreeing on how that went down. And I had reported that McKissick, that Washington felt that McKissick, they, they were not given a chance to make McKissick an offer and his McKissick side doesn't necessarily see it that way. So to have two agencies, agent situations like this in a day doesn't look great. All that said to, to quote Godfather too, this is the business they've chosen. I mean, it, it would, it, it works the other way too, where an agent agrees to a deal and then, Oh, <laughs> we're backing out. In fact, just right there today, I think I saw that, uh, Zadarius, is it Zadarius Smith? Yeah. Was agreeing to go back to the Raven or to sign with the Ravens, but now he's backing out. I don't have any idea why. I'm just saying things do happen. And at the end of the day, if you're Washington, Matt Ioannidis was like, if you decided you had to create cap space beyond move, uh, getting on from Landon Collins, Matt Ioannidis was a clear option. He and Eric Flowers both were. Again, maybe they could have communicated that better with their, their agents, but at the same point, Th- that's where they're the, what they did is is a reasonable choice given the fact that they just had Carson Wentz's deal chew up most of their cap space they need to get more uh, Matt Ionis is a good player but he was an expensive reserve and if you're going to keep John Allen and Jerron Payne he remains a reserve so the JD McKissick situation we haven't talked about this uh, on this podcast uh, since Kevin was off and you know we focused on hoops yesterday so uh, McKissick we get you know the reports okay he's going to Buffalo and now he is uh, he is not. He is going to stay in Washington. So you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. I know you wrote about it uh, in The Athletic as well. But, um, you know, how did that situation all unfold? And, and ultimately, uh, what was the determining factor for him to stay in Washington as opposed to go to Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, I... I- I guess ultimately he just didn't want to leave. Right. I mean, he basically <laughs> took, as far as I can tell, he the took same the same thing, right? Yeah. He took the same offer. So, uh, you know, the, the way it was being presented was Washington had not made an offer. So I guess his, his representatives were talking to the bills. Bills made the offer. Hey, JD, we, we haven't heard from Washington. The team that might win the Super Bowl this year is interested in you. Here's what they're offering. Would you like to play for them? He said, yes. And that was there. Then when Washington got wind of this, I guess, things changed and again it's hard to know what the truth is about what the what was it what expectations were from a negotiation standpoint but I think ultimately just JD just decided he wanted to stay I, I had a, a quote from him in my story yesterday 
through his agent. And basically he just said, Hey, look, Buffalo is a great place, but we have unfinished business here in Washington. And I don't, I don't want to leave. He's a, on top of the player. He's a very popular guy in the locker room. And I had a sense that like, that would have been a pretty unpopular move if they had let him go. Not, not just because he's a good pass catcher, but like the guy, like that he's somebody that um, he's sort of the, he's the guy like the defenders are always saying, dude, that guy does not stop talking out there. Um, but it's said with a brotherly kind of way. So I think people, I think the players are pretty happy that JD McKissick is back. All right. A couple more uh, bits and pieces before we let you run. Uh, you mentioned Eric flowers gone uh, and uh, they Washington went out and got uh, uh, Andrew Norwell uh, to come in. And he is, you know, had the best of his career uh, under Ron Rivera. He's 30. Uh, he comes in, I think PFF had him, you know, as one of the top guards, uh, in the free agent market. Uh, so, you know, he's essentially filling the hole for Eric flowers. Uh, he's, you know, going to be on the left side there. So, um, is this, is this just a, a simple swap? Uh, what, what is the makeup of the line now? Obviously sheriff gone too. Uh, what is, what is the makeup of the line looking like now that Norwell, uh, is a part of it. And I'm sure Ron Rivera hoping that he can get back to, you know, his, his peak when he was in Carolina with, uh, with, with Rivera, right. He was all pro, uh, down in, uh, down in Carolina about four or five years ago. Well, Tim, you know, we believe in transparency here and uh, I will be honest. I've been busy. Have not gotten to break down the, <laughs> haven't broken world. down the tape yet. I haven't broken down the tape with the Come Jags. on, man. So I don't exactly know how he performed last year or how he fits into the John Matsko offensive line or any of those things. Uh, I, and I don't mean this to be in a completely, you know, disrespectful way, but you know, guards are a little bit disposable and obviously some are better than others. I.e., Brandon Sheriff and, and Eric flowers was pretty good for them last year. But at the same point, it is like the one position it feels like on offense where you can kind of like, all right, you can kind of plug and play and move guys around. So if they believe we'll have to see what the cost is. I imagine it's going to be less per year than the 10 million that Eric flowers was on the books for. I had some sense that Eric flowers aside may have been looking for a raise if Washington was looking to lower that cap and that maybe they didn't choose that ironically flowers and Norwell are both repped by Drew Rosenhaus. So, uh, you know, however, however those things go, clearly it wasn't, didn't, didn't piss anybody off enough to, to say no on the assumption. He's a reasonable guard and will work fine next to Charles Leno. Sure. I mean, the cap hit probably goes down. They bring on a guy who we're very familiar with. I can't get too worked up over this one way or the other. I would imagine Wes Schweitzer is the other guard. And, and I shouldn't necessarily automatically assume Norwell's the left guard. I'm just saying whatever. Whichever way that 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 breaks out, you know, if Schweitzer's the other guard, then they have two guards. Okay. I mean, there you go. Well, I'm just trying to, you know, appease the people. Let them know. Get them, get them the most take command news that, uh, I mean, that, we, that we can get here. So, no. I mean, look, I, it, it – it's the, the fact that the first outside free agent they get is a you know guard, as Jay Gruden would say. I mean, you know, it's hard to get overly enthused. Get about the juices like, going, <laughs> but you know, look, it's it's a necessary piece. You got to start five guys on the line, so they they got they got a guy. Seems like he's a pretty good player, and assuming that the money comes in at a, a decent number, then good for them. All right, Ben. Before we let you run, uh, one final thought. Who knows? By the time people listen, he might already have a, a location. I saw that. Uh, who was it? Uh, Kyle Pitts tweeted out, you know, things are about to get serious down here in Atlanta, essentially meaning that Deshaun Watson is going to Atlanta. Uh, I believe you tweeted out earlier today. Uh, 
you had been hearing it's down to Atlanta and New Orleans. Cleveland is officially out uh, per the reports. Uh, so where do you think Watson ultimately lands? It's tricky because none of the final four teams has been discussed. Are that enticing? I mean, they each have sort of their own flaws. Uh, Atlanta's in particular is like, they're just not that close to contending. And, you know, I don't even know the math on what happens if they do get Watson and have to unload Matt Ryan. And he's got some crazy cap number and what that would mean and all that kind of stuff. But what I do know is that Georgia is home for Deshaun Watson, that after the year he's had, and I'm not getting into whatever is whatever we make of what's happening distance for him personally, uh, going home would seem kind of appealing, even if the Falcons need a minute to, to turn things around. Plus, you have an offensive mind to head coach in Arthur Smith, whereas with the New Orleans Saints, it's not Sean Payton. It's the defensive coordinator is now the head coach in, in Dennis Allen. Uh, the, the Saints are more ready to win now than the, than, than the Falcons are. But at the same point, it's not home and it's a defensive. I mean, they have a, they have an offensive coordinator, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a different vibe. It feels like for these quarterbacks when the head coach is on your side of the ball. So to me, Atlanta makes the most sense. It's been kind of where I've been leaning for a bit, but what I was told, or, you know, Atlanta and the saints, I, I trust me, if you're on Twitter, everybody who's got an NFL reporter tag is trying to weigh in somehow, but you know, I don't always chime in. I felt I had a pretty good read on this from, from a couple of people. So that's my sense. If I had to lean, I'd lean Atlanta, but like I said, the saints are the better team today. It's just going to be what is Watson prioritized. All right. He is Ben Standig. You know, him at Ben Standig on Twitter, read all his work over at the athletic Ben, you're a busy man. I appreciate you cutting in some time and uh, educating a former Washingtonian on, uh, the latest happenings of the commanders hashtag take command, Ben take command. Look, I, I bother you all the time about, Hey, I'm looking at some game on TV. What do you think about this thing? So ha- happy to help. All right, man. There he is. Ben standing. Let's take a quick break here. More to come on the Sheehan podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Thanks again to uh, to Ben Standig and uh, thanks to uh, to all the people on Twitter. Uh, I do appreciate the uh, the comments. And uh, I know yesterday, once again, a very heavy college hoop focused uh, podcast. And hopefully uh, some of you all enjoyed that as as we got ready for the uh, NCAA tournament. Not going to do a ton today on college hoops. 
Uh, I'll do a little here um, just because uh, it might be a little outdated. When are you listening to this? Games are are underway. We do have some finals from earlier in the day uh, when, uh, you know, when uh, upon recording here. So we'll, we'll get into that. I'll give you a couple thoughts about tomorrow's games as well to uh, to wrap things up. But a rather quicker podcast today um, as we sit in for Sheehan and uh, hopefully – He's enjoying himself out West. All right. Uh, I just want to get to last night, uh, Wednesday night, Notre Dame Rutgers. What a game. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, as I think a good chunk of you know, who know me, I am a, a Notre Dame fan, not a huge Notre Dame hoops fan, more of the uh, the football variety, but certainly cheer for the Irish. Had the Irish last night. No sweat whatsoever as they won 89 to 87 in double overtime. It, it's I'm very curious, and I know Kevin's talked about this, and he had Jeff Herman on, I think, earlier this week, and and uh, Jeff has done a phenomenal job, obviously, keeping uh, the, uh, people updated on on who uh, Maryland will go after with this coaching search. And, you know, here we are. A um, handful of other jobs have opened up. Uh, nothing as big as Maryland or Louisville uh, that is that is sitting there. A really interesting one, by the way, opening at Dayton – or, excuse me, at Xavier – uh, two former Xavier coaches are available. You've got Chris Mack and you've got Sean Miller. Uh, there was a report yesterday that Archie Miller might be headed to Rhode Island, um, which I, I guess that would make some sense. Obviously, Archie Miller had a ton of success in the Atlantic 10 there at Dayton, and uh, Rhode Island is, I consider, a pretty good job. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, George Washington, uh, very surprisingly, uh, came open. Uh, I'm, you know, friendly. I wouldn't say we're friends, but uh, over the years have have no, gotten to know Jamie and Christian. So I thought he would be successful there. And certainly since uh, Mike Lonergan's uh, departure, it's it's been a rather challenging job. So not really sure uh, how that all unfolded. You know, one name for GW, and I, I feel like even with Maryland, um, not as the head man, but I think at GW, I wonder if Mike Jones, the DeMatha coach, will get a lot of run and uh, if GW will will go after him, right? I mean, who better than uh, a guy that had immense success at DeMatha, one of the most prestigious basketball programs, basketball brands in high school basketball, probably is the most prestigious uh, because of Morgan Wooten, but he replaced the legend and uh, succeeded with flying colors and, and brought in incredible talent. Um, one at a at, you know remarkable level, and now he's at Virginia Tech on Mike Young's staff. They're in the NCAA tournament. They played Texas, um, and I think if George Washington went that route, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, I, I'm not reporting that. I just think that would make a lot of sense. But I think most of you listening are, are curious about the Maryland job, and that's where I get back to Notre Dame and Rutgers last night. You know, Mike Bray, Dematha guy, um, went to GW, graduated from GW. And, you know, has always been fond of this area. You know, John Rothstein even last night joked about uh, Mike Bray, you know, going to uh, to Delaware <laughs> for the beach. He said, he's, you're always used to going to Delaware for the beach. Now you're going to San Diego. You know, I, I have no read on it. I know a lot of Maryland fans are not happy about it uh, if it were to ultimately be Mike Bray. Um, to me, it just it would make sense in one regard because he's from here. He's got ties. You know, could he bring someone like Mike Jones from Virginia Tech to be his associate head coach? Or I know there's rumors about other uh, pieces there, but at 63 years old, 
is he the guy that you want? Now I know Rick Pitino and I was all on board with Kevin and, 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 ev- and everyone. I mean, Rick Pitino is different. Rick Pitino has won national championships at two different locations. Mike Bray has not. Um, you know, I remember talking to Sheehan back, you know, 10, 11 years ago when, when they ultimately hired Turgeon and uh, it was reported. And I think uh, Sheehan has said so that Bray had interest or wanted the job, whatever it was. And uh, you know, at that time, Bray had not made a run past the Sweet 16, and he had only gone to the Sweet 16 once. Uh, he has had since two runs to the Elite Eight. Um, and he he does, he's, in my mind, he's a really good offensive coach. Watch the sets that they ran last night to get, you know, shots. And he's just never been a big-time recruiter. Now, is that because of where he's coaching at, Notre Dame, or is that because he's just not a good recruiter? I think it's more the former and if he had come to Maryland, I think he would have had success. Turgeon certainly had his success. Um, but I think he gets the most out of your players, very offensive minded. And, you know, think back to the 2015 Notre Dame team. The best player on that team was a DeMatha kid and Jerry and Grant. Now they had other guys, you know, Demetrius Jackson was from South Bend. Pat Connaughton was from, you know, Massachusetts. But I think if you brought him here, he would have a lot of ties to the area and would be able to keep a lot of the homegrown talent, you know, within the market. But at 63, does he want to leave Notre Dame after two decades plus and having one of his best recruiting classes ever already signed? He's got a McDonald's all American coming in for the first time, I think like a decade. So I know there's, you know, the reporting is that he's interested uh, he would get the opportunity to come home and maybe you get a chance to, you know, win a national title, which you're not going to do at Notre Dame. I think the, the best team he ever had had a chance to, you know, I guess they did ultimately beat the national champion in 2015 in Duke in the ACC tournament. But um, I, I don't I don't think he can ever win a championship at Notre Dame. But at 63, I think it's twofold. And I think there is going to be backlash from the fan base. But ultimately, who would satisfy the fan base? That's what I don't know. And I'm not a Maryland alum like Sheehan or many of the listeners here. So I don't know. Um, my producer and the producer of this podcast, Aaron Oster produces not only this podcast for Sheehan, but he also produces my show at VEASAN. I know he doesn't want Mike Bray, but he was kind of warming up last night as we're watching. He's like, I don't know, maybe. Because what are the other options, right? Ed Cooley, by the way, trendy dog uh, in South Dakota State. They did not get it done. Shout out to Providence, but also, wouldn't you know it, they get a very fortunate call on a three-point shot uh, when they were up three to get all three free throws, and they hit all that. But they win again, so Providence moving on. Ed Cooley, in my opinion, he's got a great situation. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think tomorrow is very fascinating. Friday, for a lot of uh, Maryland fans who are going to be given their armchair quarterback um uh, uh, analysis. You've got Andy Enfield, USC taking on, um, you know, Miami. Uh, I think Miami wins that game. I am not a USC believer. Um, as I stated yesterday on the podcast, you've got, uh, you know, Notre Dame again, if you want to watch Mike Bray again, see if you're convinced they play Alabama, whose peaks are elite. They've beaten Gonzaga. They've beaten uh, the best of the best. They've also had some bad losses. They lost to Rick Pitino and Iona. They lost to Georgia uh, this year. So uh, we'll see what the Irish do, and and maybe the future Maryland coach does in Mike Bray. Uh, then Seton Hall, Kevin Willard. Uh, this is a guy that I told Aaron all along. You know, this would make a ton of sense 
to go after someone like Kevin Willard. Kevin Willard, uh, I, I think he's a really, really good coach. He's in his mid forties. You know, he's from, you know, from New York. He's had plenty of success there at Seton Hall. I know Maryland fans want an Iona coach. He was at Iona. And, you know, look at what he's done. Uh, he's gone to the NCAA tournament at Seton Hall. Now, four out of the last, or five out of the last seven years, would have went in the COVID year as well. And I think he's a quality coach, will know the area, can recruit New York. I, I think that, to me, especially if they go out, they beat TCU, which, by the way, that game is just going to be a, a mother. I mean, those two teams going against each other is going to be something else. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, as a Notre Dame fan, I'd be bummed. I love Mike Bray. I, I think he's a great coach. Honestly, I want to see Mike Bray finish his career in like a year or two and go into the media. I think Mike Bray, well, did you watch his, you know, post-game comments? I remember a couple of years ago, it was the BB&T Classic. Terrell Stoglin or Stoglin uh, went nuts. And Bray comes in post-game. I think that was year one or two of Turgeon. And he's like, man, Stoglin. He was like, world be free out there. I mean, Mike Bray would be an absolute treat for us to watch and break down games. I like Seth Greenberg uh, a lot, but give me Mike Bray, you know, <laughs> do two more years at Notre Dame, retire at 64, 65. You're the all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame, you know, have one or two more decent NCAA tournament runs with a, a good recruiting class coming in and, uh, and, and go on the set. Let's uh, let's see Bray on the set. But, you know, for my money, uh, with no dog in a fight, I think obviously you shoot for the moon. I love Ed Cooley. I think he's phenomenal. I don't think he's coming. Uh, I heard Jimmy, you know, breaking it down on this podcast, you know, with their, you know, situation up there in Providence with all the facilities, with all the backing, with all the fans. You know, why would he leave that situation? He's home. Money talks, obviously. Um, but I think Andy Edfield uh, obviously would be, you know, would make sense here, too. Um, but to me, I think Kevin Willard. Uh, I, I think the the style that Seton Hall plays with would uh, would work in the Big Ten, and I think he would be a very quality hiring. Maybe not the sexiest, maybe doesn't win the press conference, but look, you know, Seton Hall is in you know Northern New Jersey, right there. It's as anyone's ever been to you know Orange, New Jersey. No offense to anyone uh, from that area, not the prettiest. I did you know I did a recruiting basketball camp. Back in the day at Seton Hall, it is, uh, yeah, it's it's not a elite uh, place to uh, to uh, to to go, and I, I think you know Xfinity Center and all of that uh, would be enticing. So to me, Willard, the su sustained success that he's had at Seton Hall, um, I think he's a really good coach, and I think he would be a quality hire uh, if if that's the way Maryland went. Um, you know, I, I know the buzz for Bray continues and, and maybe he wants to come back home and that's where he wants to finish up his career. To me, if it's not Rick Pitino at his you know age, I, I you know, Rick Pitino is different. He's a two time national champ that, that the Louisville National Championship, even though the banner doesn't hang, it happens. They won a national championship. He is an elite coach. Uh, clearly, he's not coming uh, as 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 it has been pointed out Uh and uh, yeah, look, I think Mike Bray would be successful, but for how long? I mean, Mike Bray to me doesn't seem like the guy who wants to coach into his 70s, but you never know. I mean, if he's pushing hard for this job and uh, they beat Alabama, it's a lot easier of a sell to bring Mike Bray home, talk about the Elite Eight runs, 
and uh, and and how much he was able to squeeze out of the Irish. I think I saw the NABC just named him their coach of the year. So look, he is well respected, well liked from the DC area. Has recruited the DC area a lot, and you know who knows. I know he was going really hard after Hunter Dickinson, who by the way was just an absolute mismatch for uh, for Colorado State. Twenty one six and four rebounds as uh, as an eleven seed who is a favorite. By the way, I just wish Devontae Jones wasn't out. I was all over Michigan on Selection Sunday. Then Devontae Jones, their point guard, was ruled out due to a concussion, and uh, I uh, I backed off. I actually ended up taking Colorado State in a uh, in a you know last man standing pool uh, plus the two and a half. So uh, they melted down in the second half. But Hunter Dickinson, you know, Mike Bray was going hard after him. And ultimately, he goes to Michigan. If Bray's the head coach in Maryland, does he keep him? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I know Dickinson has obviously been a sore subject for Terp fans as he's kind of gone out of his way to uh, blast Maryland, even though he certainly was recruited by the Terps. My pick would be Willard, you know, the logical one, the one that makes sense. That I think ultimately, you know, in my opinion, he would be the betting favorite. But it seems like there's a lot of momentum towards Mike Bray, and uh, and maybe he wants to come back and you know, ride off into the sunset, so to speak, at Notre Dame, getting his first NCAA tournament win since 2017. All right, Notre Dame plays tomorrow. Handful of other games on Friday as well. We'll break things down uh, real quickly uh, after these messages. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, closing up the podcast. Once again, Tim Murray in for Sheehan. Uh, I was told on Twitter uh, to remind you, subscribe leave a review. It really helps. Uh, it doesn't take any time. It's completely free. I think that's the, the Sheehan spiel. So I've done it twice now. Um, all right, let's get to a couple games tomorrow. Um, I know we broke down a lot of them on Wednesday, um, but you know, sometimes opinions change. And I'll just do a, a quick overview of, uh, of some games that are jumping out uh, at me when it comes to uh, when it comes to the tournament uh, over the next couple of days. So, you know, the, uh, 
the bracket continues uh, on Friday. Uh, we'll have 16 more games uh, across. And, um, you know, it's funny, as of time of recording, and uh, who the hell knows what happens here, but uh, a lot of chalk, a lot of favorites have covered, but uh, I don't know if that'll be, you know, it, sustainable as the days go on. Uh, and then looking at Friday's slate, I do like a lot of dogs. Uh, I do. Um, and, you know, we talked about it a bit yesterday with Jim, Jim Root from the three-man weave. Um, and and maybe it's going to be coming too trendy. I, I don't know. Um, but I like Colgate a lot. Um, I, I think, you know, that that's the typical, that's the type of matchup that they would potentially have success in. Last year, Colgate, you know, played against Arkansas. They ran out of steam. And uh, I, I think when you have a team with NCAA tournament experience, which they have, and elite shooting, which they have. However, once again, you may have elite shooting and then you have an off night. Look at South Dakota State on Thursday, right? They, they lose to Providence. Then they, they made a little run at the end. A very questionable call on a, on a three-pointer that maybe South Dakota State goes down and, and ties that game up. We'll never know. Providence gets the win. So uh, congratulations to Ed Cooley's squad. But we look at... Um, I, I just look at this Colgate team and I wrote it up. You know, we, we do write-ups on, on vcin.com. I, I took the eight with them. And uh, I, I think there's a potential for, for them to, uh, for them to, to win outright. Uh, if they're shooting well, you know, top, you know, number two, three point shooting team in the country. You know, they've got guys in this team who have played in not one, but two NCAA tournaments. Um, you know, Matt Langle's a good coach. Uh, maybe he'd be a guy GW would look at. I don't know. Uh, I think he was a temple assistant. So, you could do a lot worse. I mean, he's been he's been thriving up there in Hamilton, New York. So, you know, maybe that's someone to keep on the radar for uh, that GW job uh, that is open right now uh, in D.C. So I do like Colgate. That's late night on Friday. Uh, you know, once again, the fact that it is in Wisconsin that late. Um, I think I think Purdue absolutely manhandles Yale. I think Yale uh, got overseeded. Um, the selection committee tends to do things like this where, you know, uh, you're, you're playing your championship on Sunday. Princeton would have been a, a formidable foe as a 14. Uh, they lost a VCU, by the way, in the NIT. So good win for uh, my guy, Mike Rhodes, and his, uh, his squad there. But I, I think the size that Purdue has is just going to cause fits. Edie and, and Williams down low. You got to lay a lot of points. So I, I get it. If you don't want to, you know, you know, be throwing down uh, – point spreads of, of 16. So uh, I do think Yale is, is in a world of pain uh, come tomorrow. I, I'm, you know, one of the late night games, by the way, the late night slate on Friday is absolutely spectacular. You've got Colgate, Wisconsin. You've got Davidson, Michigan State. You have UAB, Houston, and TCU, Seton Hall. So I know all the Maryland fans are going to be uh, keyed in and locked in on, on watching Kevin Willard and, and uh, breaking down his every, you know, move there. But that late night slate, if you're if you're a night owl, oh my god! I mean, it it, it can't get much better than that. Um, I do like Loyola. Um, you know, Loyola is a team that made a run to the Sweet Sixteen last year. Obviously, their coach Porter Mosier, he is gone. Um, you know, their best player last year, um, uh, Cameron Crutwig, he is gone. Uh, but they got dudes. I mean, Lucas Williamson is 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 a elite defender, two time defensive player of the year in the uh, Missouri Valley and Ohio state's got injury concerns. And, and that, that's, 
that's something. I mean, I know EJ Liddell could be could be some serious issues uh, down low, but you look at you know uh, where they sit right now with with some injuries that are that are mounting up. I, I think there's there's some questions there about this Ohio State team. So um, it's Zed Key and Kyle Young. Uh, they were not taking part in practice on Thursday. Uh, they're banged up. So an unhealthy Ohio State team that struggled down the stretch, lost to Maryland, lost to, I think, three teams out of the field of, uh, of 68 down the stretch. And Loyola, I thought, you know, they lost their regular season finale to Northern Iowa, but that tournament, they really ratcheted it up. I think they won every game by double figures. Maybe they didn't win the championship by double figures, but, um, you know, they got their revenge in the semifinals against Northern Iowa, bulldozed them, and, and then they beat Drake in the championship. So I like Loyola. That's at a pick. So I'll, I'll roll with the, uh, with the Ramblers there. I talked a little bit about yesterday, you know, backing guys that you just might know the name, uh, like a UAB and Jelly Walker. Um, I, I could very well be proven wrong here. Kelvin Sampson is a terrific coach, but you look at no Marcus Sasser, no Traymond Mark. You've got a guy in, in Jelly Walker who's hit 115 threes this year, shooting over 40% from three. Those are the types of guys that can have these types of moments that we're talking about on Saturday morning, or you're out at a bar on Friday night, you know, with these games on. And uh, that's, that's who we're talking about. Just getting in a, in a heat check mode. So yeah, games I like tomorrow on Friday night. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with, uh, with more thoughts on the games on Thursday and, and then, you know, kind of get the weekend ready to go too. But uh, I like Colgate as a dog uh, plus the seven and a half. I do like UAB plus the eight and a half. I like Loyola as a pick'em over Ohio State. Uh, you know, uh, a ten that is a pick'em against the seven is is kind of head scratching, right? Remember, it's the the bookmakers. Uh, they don't care about your seeding. Just look at Michigan and Colorado State. Michigan was the eleven seed and was without their starting point guard and was still a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and they were able to pulverize Colorado State in that second half of the game. So uh, those are some thoughts on uh, on Friday. Should be a really great slate. I, I am I just can't wait for the, the evening slate there on Friday. I think the way that the, uh, the schedule sets up, it is going to be a hell of an evening. Also, uh, if you want to watch uh, Andy Enfield, that game is uh, in the middle of the afternoon. Um, lean towards Miami, not, a, not, not an official play, not a bet that I've made. And, and also Mike Young and uh, Virginia Tech, do they keep it rolling? I, I love their offensive ex- execution. You know, you look at Notre Dame and the way they executed down the stretch. Uh, I think, you know, I, I think that um, Mike Bray is a, a very, very bright and great offensive mind. I think Mike Young, who was at Wofford, is tremendous. And they've had success in the tournament. They did at Wofford. Uh, Chris Beard squad, I think, you know, was, was a bit overrated this year, still getting at a six. Uh, they've got talent. They got more talent than Virginia tech, but that game, you know, the line, once again, kind of telling you something there sitting at one, um, no play for me would lean towards the Hokies getting it done there. Uh, but it almost feels like maybe that's a trendy play because what did we see last from Virginia tech winning four and four Texas bowed out to TCU blew a 18 point lead at halftime and loss. So I'm going to stay away from that one. Uh, we'll see how big of a dope I am come, uh, come next week, but I'll, I'll roll on Friday. If you want to roll with me or fade me, that's cool. Uh, Colgate plus seven and a half UAB plus eight and a half. And I'll ride with 
the sister jeans, Loyola, the, uh, they will take down Ohio State, who enters limping both uh, on the floor, winning and losing-wise, and, uh, and just with their players. All right, that's going to do it. I said it'll be a brief podcast. Hopefully, we fulfilled some of the commander need. And uh, thank you to Ben Standig once again. Uh, I am Tim Murray sitting in for Kevin Sheehan. Remember, uh, as Sheehan would always tell you, please review, rate. It really helps the podcast out. Uh, We'll be back on Friday with more. Uh, Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.